Well, good morning. It's good to be with you this morning, and um, I don't know who's responsible for the wet weather. Lord is, isn't he? So we'll just stop griping and say, Lord, we're looking forward to spring. It's good to be with you. My wife and Rob and I are uh, pleased to have a chance to be with you this morning. Good to be with uh, Austin and Mallory, especially Mallory. Austin, he's old news at this point, but she's a delight. Isn't she a delight? <laughs> are you Graham? Graham, it's good to meet you. I'm the guy that keeps sending your stuff to your dad, to you, that you go, where do we get this? Who's this strange man sending me stuff? I got more stuff for you today. <laughs> you may pick up on the accent at some point um, that I'm not from around here, and that doesn't mean Pittsburgh. Let's get over that. I think last time I was here, someone accidentally mentioned I was from the... I like to tell people in Ohio, we live in Pitts, Pennsylvania. That's bad enough, but then you throw in the other Pittsburgh word and... Uh, let me just remind you, we are related in Jesus, and you got to love me, right? <laughs> Baker Merrifield, where are you? That's sad, isn't it? I shouldn't go there. So um, I, uh, when we stop at um, rest stops, I always pick up literature from the visitor center. Uh, I, I usually go back with a stack of stuff and, and store it for a couple of years before I replace it with newer stuff. And uh, I picked up one this time, Amish country visitor fund map. Amish country. Um, I love the relationship that we have with the Amish. It's kind of an interesting mutual sort of thing, right? Uh, they say, look, we live a distinct lifestyle, we, um, but we'd appreciate it if you'd come and buy our expensive quilts. And we go, that's really cool. People want to come. We're going to set up hotels near you so people can spend their money with us as well to come and look at you without gawking and saying how different they are. It, it is. It's a weird symbiotic kind of relationship, isn't it, of a, of a group of people who are kind of other than us. And, uh, and so we go and we pretend we're not taking their pictures on the sly, and we try not to stare, but we're there for the whole reason of seeing them. It's kind of odd, right, if you ever think about it. I didn't say they're odd. I'm saying our relationship is kind of interesting because they, they're, not, they're, they're not really from around here, like right? Um, do you have the growing feeling as you navigate as a believer in this culture that you feel maybe out of place as maybe an Amish brother or sister might hear this morning? Do you increasingly get the feeling that you ain't from around here and you're not home anymore? Even if you've lived in that same block, that same community all of your life, you say, I didn't move, but everything else seems to have shifted. You, is it just me, or have you picked up on these vibes as well? And isn't it true that our culture more and more is emboldened to remind us that you're not from around here, and that we just need to kind of sit down and be quiet, that our day is over, and that we're not living that way anymore here. Thank you very much. The passage we're looking at today is written by the Apostle Peter to a group of people he calls elect exiles. What's an exile? Well, it's three million Ukrainians who can't live at home right now because there's war happening in their region, and they're scattered. Some here, some in Romania, some in uh, Poland, and other nations where they're scattered because of difficulty. And these beloved brothers and sisters that Peter are writing to are scattered because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The people are not friendly towards them, that they've professed Christ, they've come to know Christ, and they are saying, you know, enough of that. You don't belong here. If you're not going to confess Caesar as Lord, we'd just soon you move along. 
If you're not going to honor the traditions of the elders, if you're not going to live as a good Jewish boy or girl anymore, please move along. If you're rejecting our ways and our culture here as a, the good Roman citizen that you ought to be, we'd prefer you just kind of move along. And we're feeling that more and more in our, as ourselves as we seek to live for Jesus in a culture that we just assume that we would move along. And so Peter is writing a letter to people who are kind of, we can relate to. And say kind of because we've not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. Most of us. Uh, the writer of Hebrews talks about that as we would keep following Jesus in difficulty. So he's writing to these exiles who are scattered to remind them that they are to still to live on mission as God's engaged exiles. Now, I like to make clear that we're not talking about being God's enraged exiles. We've tried that. How's that working? Is that working out for anybody, being out as an exile in the community and just always living in a rage lifestyle? Are people flocking to you to hear more and more about Jesus? Or they keep blocking you on Facebook and saying, I've had enough of that silliness. Could you please quit being angry about everything? God is calling us people who aren't from around here anymore, even if you've lived here all your life, to stay engaged in the community and culture God has placed us so that we, people called out of darkness into his marvelous light, can call back to those in darkness and invite them to know of the greatness, the excellencies of our Savior, that they may turn to Jesus and be saved as well. So Peter writes this, writes these things to people who weren't a people but now are a people. I'm going to be looking at, we're looking at this morning, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 to 12. Let me read the passage for us. We'll pray. And we're going to ask God, Lord, show us what is some of the conduct that we should have is your called out people. And let me define the word called out. When I was a kid and I got called out, it wasn't for special honor. <laughs> Anybody ever been called out before? We're not talking about that kind. We're talking about someone who was doomed and damned, and God says, I am calling you out of darkness into my marvelous light. Call upon the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And the one who died on the cross for our sins, who was raised from the dead, now provides a rescue mission that we can be delivered from an eternal fate away from God and brought into the kingdom of God. We have been called out of death and darkness into the kingdom of God. Now, that's the kind of called out I can get into. That's a, that's a nice change for somebody like me and maybe for you as well. So now having been called out and called in, what's my conduct supposed to be? This passage will give us some good marching orders today. Please follow along as I read, then we'll pray. 1 Peter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who calls you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now... You have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of your flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Let's ask God to use his word to teach us today and encourage us to live more and more on mission for him. 
Thank you, Lord, for the chance to look into your word together. I thank you for the opportunity to be a tour guide. And as such, I pray that your spirit would use me and your word to accomplish your good work today. We thank you, Lord, for a break from being on mission in hostile territory to come together with brothers and sisters and those who are learning about you to come together to learn more of your great calling on us that we could be equipped to go and share your excellencies with those who need you. So, Lord, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, Lord. You are our rock. You are our redeemer. We ask these things in the name of Jesus and all of God's people said, amen. Rob and I were young 20s, newlyweds, and we moved from the south to Brooklyn, New York. And we recognized that we had moved uh, from small towns that were either white or black, almost all completely uh, Protestant hometowns, to, uh, to Brooklyn, New York, and living on a street where there were seven different languages spoken. And so it was very clear to us we weren't from around there. So it's easy to remember we were there on mission because it was so different. You may have the illusions if you've lived here a lot of your life that you feel at home here, but here's a reminder thus that though we may be physically at home here, our hearts are now anchored in heaven and we are sent back on mission to serve our great God. And there's a conduct he wants for us who've been called out. And one is first to embrace our new identity. Embrace our new identity. Everywhere you go, people are talking about how they identify, right? Everyone's identifying as this or the other. And some out of great pride and some out of great uh, realization of who they are and some out of great pain and great confusion. So we, we know what it means to people to kind of identify themselves and to create an, a call out an identity. Well, God, in calling us out of darkness into his light, has given us a new identity. Listen to what he describes us as. We weren't the people, now we are the people of God. We're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Not, not nation there, don't hear America, don't hear uh, European, don't hear uh, North American. This is the people of God, a holy nation within a nation, a people for his own possession. If your ears perk up and you say, that sounds like he's talking to Israel. These are phrases we understood about God's chosen people. And those of us who are Gentiles, who are non-Jews, we go, wow, we know they were special. They were covenant people. They were the people of God, the apple of his eye. And now God is applying that language to everyone who calls upon Jesus and is saved. It's like a new Israel or an additional Israel. However you would describe that, whatever status the chosen people of God have and had, now we have. My greatest identity is not a kid from Georgia. It's not because I'm married to a wonderful, patient, kind, loving. I didn't do anything yet today. I just, I just love her. It's early. Sometimes you got to put the chips in early. You know what I'm saying, guys. Can I get an oh me? Oh me. My identity is not, we've been married 37 years. This always gets risky, December 1st, 84. My identity is not five kids. My identity is that God called me to himself. And it's not, it's not bragging on me. What I did to deserve that was I had sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
that me, like all other sheep, had gone astray, but then God laid my sins, your sins, on the Lamb of God, the great shepherd who became a Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. And now having been called out of darkness, I've been given, we have been given, a new identity, the most defining identity that I have, that you will ever have, the anchor identity of who you are, God's chosen people on mission. Anybody, anybody else old enough in here to know this song? I'll start, you fill in the blank, okay? Praise him, praise him, tell of his... That's it. Don't, don't let the doubt silence you. <laughs> they did a little better than the first service. We're going to try this again, and, and I'll keep singing with you, but you filled in the blank nicely. Praise him, praise him, tell of his excellent greatness. Okay, worship team, you've got some work to do. Or I'm just old. No need to answer that now. That hymn that most of you have never heard before talks about tell of his excellent greatness. He stole that from this passage. You know what it means to know your identity and tell people about it? It's to simply tell people about the excellent greatnesses of God. That's not hard. You say, oh, I can't, I don't have a witness, I don't have a share. You know something good about God? Tell it. Let the redeemed say so. I don't know a lot. What do you know? I was blind, now I see. Tell it. So on a flight recently beside a guy, he spoke about as much English as I spoke Spanish, but we still communicated. We struggled along. I'm sure he spoke a lot more English than I did Spanish. He had some news he wanted to share with me that I wasn't getting. My wife would say, welcome to my world. Okay. He was so desperate for me to know this news, he got his phone, spoke Spanish into it to translate to English, and what he was telling me was that just the day before he had become an American citizen. And he kept saying, so happy, I'm so happy. And he was smiling. He showed me pictures of him at his immigration service. He was in a suit and a tie. This is a laborer from Dominican Republic with a wife and five kids back there working in the Beaver Falls area, I believe on a, a fracking plant there and doing construction there. But he dressed up for that. He, he just kept I'm smiling, I'm so happy. He had changed kingdoms. He didn't know a lot about it, but he could found a way to express the joy he had now in a new citizenship. Do I have to spell this out for you? He didn't know a lot. He couldn't communicate much, but he got his message across. Uh, Jack Wilson, our pastor at Waterdam, was two seats behind us on the plane. That ain't bragging. We were all in the back. And uh, we got off the plane. I said, Jack, this guy just became a new citizen. And Jack said, congratulations. He said, so happy, so happy. He was just thrilled that he had come out of one kingdom to another and had a new identity. This is not a political statement about one country better than another, but let me tell you, the country that exceeds all is when your citizenship is in heaven and God makes you happy and you find the best ways to talk about who that new king is and you share that message. Embrace your new identity. You're God's people on mission. And then know your place or lack thereof. Wherever, were you ever told growing up, now these may be southern phrases, but we can translate later. It's okay. I met a brother from Coleman, Alabama in here. See, did he stick around? The guy on the base over here. My wife's got people from Coleman, Alabama. They talk the same language. I'm not sure what that is, but they talk the same language. But you ever, as a kid, were you ever told, hey, you know your place? Is that a southernism? It is. 
This is why I'm a missionary to northerners. I have so much to teach. <laughs> hey, boy, know your place. Often said to keep people kind of in their place for better or for worse, right? The world, in a sense, tells us to know our place, and we go, I really don't got a place down here anymore. Here's the good news. We have a place that's eternal. Our, our primary home is now heaven. And we are secure because of the work of God, not because of my grace. No one can pluck us out of the Father's hand, and Jesus has his hand around us too, and their hand is all enveloped all around us, sealed by the Spirit of God. Our place is heaven and not here. So that ache that you feel increasingly that you don't fit in here any longer, you never did. We've been deluded to think that we fit in around here when in fact when we come to know Jesus, our citizenship changed immediately and we should remember we're aliens. We've watched three million people be thrust from their homeland in Ukraine in his last month and it's grieved our hearts and now they're trying to figure out life where they are we were thrust from our homeland when we came to Christ and became citizens of heaven. We're aliens, we're strangers, sojourners, exiles. Heaven, our primary citizenship. The good news, Jesus knew this as well. Jesus who made heaven and earth and everything and everyone, it says he came to his own and his own through a big party and says, good to finally have you with us. Does your Bible read a little differently than that? He came to his own, and his own received him not. His own, his very own people, his very own things that he created. The maker of heaven and earth came, and they said, please move along. You've got a demon, you're crazy, we're not sure, but we're not sure who you are. We don't want to hear it. Keep talking that way, and we will kill you. Know your place, or lack thereof. And so Jesus, when, when you have that ache for heaven because you don't feel at home anymore, Jesus says, I know exactly how you feel. I can identify, I can relate. You'll come home someday, but I have you there to be engaged on mission. And then Peter says that to people who weren't a people and now a people and had not had mercy, but now have mercy, he says, look, I urge you, you sojourners, you exiles, I need you, I want you, you need to abstain from those lusts that you have, those desires inside, those ongoing sinful propensities and tendencies that you have. Stain from that. They're waging war against your soul. We see our distinction from the culture, and we want to change this. We want to get vote this way, and we want to put down this kind of evil thing that's coming along. And there may be some merit. For, there is merit for being engaged in a godly way, as an engaged, not an enraged, Exile, but the first battle we need to be worrying about facing is not a culture war, but a spiritual war that wages war within each of us. The biggest problem I have is not my distinction and the temptation the world puts upon me, but it's my ongoing battle with my sin nature. And how serious is this? Well, ask an Ukrainian they realized early on that if they were going to thwart the advances of the enemy, they would not take a, pos a passive stance, but it would be all-out engagement to resist an invading force. And inside of me, inside of you, 
is a sin nature that still longs to lure me and drag me away into compromise and sin. And far more important than any cultural engagement that I would have is first by the Spirit of God, by the grace of God, saying no to my sinful desires, to abstain. It's the waging war. It's hand-to-hand combat with my sin nature. Keep away from fleshly desires that do battle against the soul. Your temptations are not cute. My temptations aren't just kind of a medicine little problem. It's warfare. More than the enemy wants to take me out, more than the world wants to take me out, I have in me an enemy, my leftover legacy stuff. I think sometimes we've been more concerned with battling the sin in our culture than we have been obsessed with asking God by his grace to help us deal with the junk within. Now, this is both a point in the message where we can all breathe a sigh of relief. Some of you come in here every Sunday and say, oh, I wish I had it together like so-and-so. And that so-and-so that you admire, maybe rightfully so, every day as well says, oh, God, I'm so sick of dealing with this battle within. And just when you get some victory in this one area, your soul wants to go to battle with you in another. So here's the negative good news. Everyone in here is fighting the same battle. That's why we need honesty and transparency with each other. That's why we need to be together as well, to encourage each other as we, walking with Jesus, learn to walk with him more and more faithfully. Because it's as we deal with that junk that then we're there, then best prepared to be engaged in a culture that is counter to the kingdom of God. What's the conduct for the called out? Know your identity. Know your place or lack thereof. Start by saying no to your sinful desires. And then, as you walk with Jesus in a stumbling, halting, increasingly more and more like Jesus kind of way, engaging in the world. Peter's quite honest here. He says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, Do you catch that? You're out living an honorable life for Jesus and they're speaking about you like you're an evildoer. Some of your commitments today, if you have a biblical commitment to God's plan for marriage, one man, one woman, till death do part, male, female, he created them. If you have these biblical commitments, you are a hateful, bigoted, closed-minded. If you think Jesus is the only way to heaven, the only way, the truth, the life, no one gets to God except for through Jesus, if we hold to that biblical conviction, you are now arrogant, narrow-minded. The world doesn't see us just as different as they would say, well, aren't the Amish interesting? The world looks at us and more and more thinks that we're no different than the Taliban. And I don't say that for dramatic effect other than I hope it has a dramatic effect to shock us, to remind us we're no longer just kind of cute do-gooders from a bygone era. We are oppressive people who we obviously hate a whole bunch of folks. These are the eyes that much of the world looks at us. I mean, Peter says it right here. Keep your behavior honorable, and they're going to speak against you as evildoers. Look, they called our master demonic. They said he was illegitimate. They told our teacher, our savior, that 
he was maybe office. His own family came and said, Jesus, we think you we think you maybe are having some mental issues. Could you come home and rest for a while? If they, Jesus said, treated me this way, how do you think they're going to treat you? You've ever heard this phrase? No good deed goes unpunished. What a weird maxim. But it's true, isn't it? And as a result of when we live for Jesus and we're George Bailey and It's a Wonderful Life, that's what I get for praying, right? If you've not seen the movie, you need to repent and go watch it, okay? <laughs> Best movie ever made, end of discussion, I don't want to hear it. Other than Star Wars, and this is where I mentioned Denny, doesn't he look like Ian McGregor? Look at this guy. I can't look at him without going, and also with you, may the force or whatever. <laughs> Meanwhile, back on topic here, Ian, um, Denny, excuse me. Has anyone else? You, it, we see it, right? If you look at him, you get, never mind. You live your best, they revile you, and Jesus says, I know what that's like. So you come to Jesus and say, it hurts. And he says, I know. And he sends comfort by his spirit, through his word, through his people. And we come together and we can honestly share that we're not doing this perfectly, but you're tempted to withdraw. That's the natural thing, other than almost falling off the platform here. The natural thing is when mistreat, people mistreat you is to disengage and to get in a holy huddle and to be safe. And the Lord Jesus says, no, no, I knew when I left heaven how I'd be treated as a stranger amongst my own people. And as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. Be convincingly Christian. Outlive your detractors via an honorable, via an honorable life. Tertullian wrote about this in 200 AD. He says, it's our care of the helpless our practice of loving kindness that brands us in the eyes of many of our opponents. Only look, they say, look how they love one another. I commend you uh, for your love of people. It's fine. I, uh, Kathy Mack sends me your emails every week. I'm on the, the email list. And it's just fun to see your Christmas offerings. Was it two years ago you raised enough to also buy a sonogram for a crisis pregnancy center? And you just recently, I guess it was concluded yesterday, a, a drive for a, is it Cornerstone, uh, you know. And, and as, I read, as I scan through the uh, description of that, is I, if I read it correctly, you guys had given so many diapers last time. They said, we're good. Don't bring us any more. I thought, what a neat legacy that you had wonderfully overblessed them that they had to say to back off we're good remind me of Moses collecting gold for the, ta the tabernacle and the altar and saying okay stop I've got enough here I thought what a commendable thing and I know you guys are engaged in ministry with one another and in the community and let me just encourage you to stay engaged be engaged winsomely redemptive engagement with the community no hermits let people see your care for the helpless. It's interesting in churches, I can hardly ever visit a church without meeting someone who has adopted or been adopted. It's a disproportionate, wonder amount, wonderful amount of people in the church who adopt. People have accused us of only being concerned about life in the womb and not after birth. That's a slanderous lie. Orphanages, adoptions, senior centers, feeding centers, hospitals, 
homeless shelters, and on and on it goes. Let no one shut you up by saying you people are only obsessed with unborn babies. Invite them to look at your website and say, well, look at how we're caring for people in all these different ways. Invite them to look at church history, the world, history of the world. Keep living convincingly Christian until Christ calls us back to himself. So you ain't from around here anymore. It's okay, I didn't say you moved to Pittsburgh. It's okay, you can take a deep breath here. But you are here, and God has called you here right now, in this time, in this place, to work together to share the good news of Jesus Christ. You're going to do it imperfectly, and admit it when you do. At work, at home, when you blow it, find a way to say, you know what? Because they're, they're looking for excuses. Oh, and you call yourself a Christian? And you say to that, you know, you're right. And I don't want to be that kind of hypocrite. I'm sorry. I'm not perfect. I apologize. No excuse for that. I ask your forgiveness. And people can do with that what they will, but God will honor that. He resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. You're not giving them ammunition to use against you. You're obeying God. Live convincingly, Christian. Be engaged as exiles, as resident aliens who don't feel at home but are called to continue sharing, calling into darkness those who can also come to the marvelous light. Tell of his excellent greatness. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, that your word reminds us of our status before you, that you've called us, that we're yours. We bless your name for that. And we're reminded, Lord, that since we're yours, we're, we don't belong here anymore. And that's hard and scary at times. But we thank you for the opportunity that as we increasingly say no to our internal battle with things that wage war against our soul that you then can use us to live as your people, to both show the good news and to share with words the good news. And expecting to be misunderstood and maligned, but thanking you, Lord, that you will be glorified through this Lord, you've called us salt and you've called us light. And I pray that we would indeed let our lights shine before others. That they would see our good deeds. That they would give glory to God, our Father in heaven. May we re-engage in opportunities you've set right in front of us. Thank you for your grace to do so. We pray these things in the name of Jesus.